You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and this podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin, whom is celebrating 75 years this year in the year of 2015, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, So this is going to be a nice year-long celebration of all things uh, Robin and, uh, more importantly, Tim Drake. Uh, So welcome to episode 23. I do want to send out a big, huge thank you to my good friend Stu Murray, who was on uh, episode 22, uh, talking about uh, Robin, Tim Drake's first First interaction with uh, Superman as we kind of left uh, Gotham City and the Batman comics and spent a little bit of time over in the Man of Steel and Superman comic, respectively. So again, thank you, Stu, very much. And Stu and I have been uh, talking about uh, doing uh, something else. Um, I, we may end up taking a small little break in the podcast just for maybe an episode and do a commentary track on a couple of Batman animated series episodes. Um, one we've kind of talked about as uh, the uh, Superman crossover or the world's finest. So we're going to try and iron out some uh, details to give like a just a maybe during the summertime do a vacation uh episode of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. Um, uh, I also want to take this time here uh, to say something for Terrence. He was originally going to be on this particular episode. Um, We were trying to iron out some time, and it just wasn't quite working out. Uh, He has a family member that has just recently uh, uh, had some surgery, so he's kind of taken care of his family member and had said he was trying to juggle work and home and uh, just making sure that... uh, the person they're taking care of is better. He said it, it might be in his uh, best interest to kind of a uh, uh, step back for a month or two till you know the recovery process is uh, uh, better, so he can have more free time to do this. And again, we totally understand, Terrence. Uh, just send uh, the best wishes for uh, speedy recovery, and hopefully everything goes uh, very well uh, in and amongst your family. And uh, we'll look forward to having Terrence back on. Uh, probably April or May, I think, is the time he was kind of saying that's hopefully when your recovery will be pretty good so we can kind of free up and uh, be able to come on and talk some comics here. Uh, today, we'll be taking a look at uh, three comics from Detective Comics. They will be uh, 647, 648, and 649, uh, written by the great Chuck Dixon. And for those of you, uh, spoilers here, this is the first introduction of 
spoiler. So those of you that know when uh, uh, what is going on in these particular issues, uh, this is the first introduction of Stephanie Brown into the uh, DC Universe. Uh, just uh, more recently, they have reintroduced Stephanie Brown into the New 52 Universe. So um, it'd be kind of cool to kind of see uh, how uh, the two Stephanie Browns differ. I think, of course, we all know they're going to be a little bit different on how they are introduced here. So this was something pretty cool that, uh, again, as I was kind of mapping out the show and knowing uh, the beats that I wanted to hit, uh, and that Stephanie Brown is going to play a very, very large role in the uh, Tim Drake uh, Robin ongoing se- er, series and just in the Bat family as a whole. So let me need to uh, see how uh, these first initial seeds are put into place here. We've only got, uh, I believe, about three uh, issues left or three stories left before we uh, get into Nightfall and get ever so close to the Robin ongoing series. Uh, a good friend of mine, Tom Paneris, whom you also may know from the BatmanUniverse.net, uh, hosts a really cool show, uh, Taking Flight. Uh, he and I are just getting the final uh, dates uh, pinned in place to uh, be recording the episode uh, with him. Uh, he will be on here, and I will uh, now let the cat out of the bag. Uh, he, we will be doing uh, Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress, so I'll be eagerly... Uh, anticipating talking to him as uh, we have both covered uh, Robin 1 and Robin 2 on our uh, respective podcasts here. So I thought it would be kind of cool to get both of us together to kind of complete the Robin miniseries together. So uh, that'll be in a couple episodes from now. There'll be one more episode uh, in between uh, this one and then Tom's episode. Um, I'm anticipating that Tom's Tom and I's episode is probably going to be a two-parter because it's a six-issue episode, and he and I will probably uh, bang out the whole conversation in um, probably a Saturday or you know or a Friday night or something like that. And then uh, I think we'll probably just be talking long enough that it will probably be a little bit longer than a, a normal episode would be, so I'll probably break it up into two episodes. I keep wanting to say issues. So uh, that's kind of what's coming up on the horizon here. Uh, like I said, uh, be looking forward to having Terrence back on probably sometime in the uh, early to mid-spring. And uh, we will be probably in summertime, we will be talking full-blown uh, Batman Nightfall. Um, I'm going to have some special guests on for that, and I'm going to try to get some uh Batman Universe uh, host and co-host on to talk Nightfall and everything that's going around leading up to the Robin ongoing series. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, and welcome to the show.
Detective Comics 647 has a cover date of early August 1992 with an on-street sale date of June 23, 1992. The cover price was $1.25. The page count was 32. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The cover credits go to Matt Wagner. The writer is Chuck Dixon, penciler Tom Lyle, inker Scott Hanna, and letters go to John Costanza, <laughs> colorist Adrian Roy. Tim Drake created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. The Robin costume is created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogle. The story, Inquiring Minds. Cutter and his men are in a warehouse, talking about the next crime they will commit when a man enters the room with a long blonde ponytail and an orange costume with an orange mask covering his face, interrupting their little meeting. Each of Cutter's men want to take out the gentleman, but Cutter says let's hear what he has to say first. It's the Clue Master. Cutter's right-hand man, Lewis, doesn't want to hear it and lunges after the Clue Master. He pulls a gun on the Clue Master and aims it at his face. The Clue Master throws an epoxy sticky bomb into Lewis's gun hand, preventing him from being able to pull the trigger. Then the Clue Master kicks Lewis to the ground and proceeds to tell Cutter and his gang why he is there. The Clue Master said he has been recently released from Blackgate Prison and has been cured from releasing clues that lead the police and Batman to the scene of the crime. Now with being cured, he can orchestrate the most elaborate crimes in Gotham City without leaving a single clue for Batman and Robin to find, and that all he wants is 10% of their cut. The Clue Master will set up the crimes and Cutter's men will execute the crime. Across Gotham City, some crook heists escalate into kidnapping and they're being holed up in a building and demanding money in a helicopter so they can make their getaway. If the police do not do as the robbers say, they better start bringing up body bags because the situation is going to get much, much worse. On the street below, the GCPD with Commissioner Gordon and Sarah Essen at his side and a SWAT team are taking stock of the damage of the situation and make their next move. They need to make a plan fast. One of the GCPD snipers from across the building for a brief moment thought he saw something dark, uh, like a shadow flash across his scope, but quickly he shrugs it off and says it must have been a shadow. Little does the officer know that Batman and Robin are descending down into the building where the crooks are located. Within seconds, while the crooks are arguing back and forth with one another, Batman and Robin have entered the building and are quickly and quietly taking them out one by one. Moments later, a news report band from the WGTV Action News eyewitness team is on the scene with the latest breaking news. An hour ago, the hostage crisis ended, some of them claiming to have seen the Batman on the scene. Commissioner Gordon denies commenting on the pending investigation, but District Attorney and recently nominated candidate for mayor Armin Kroll was quick to comment. Gotham is a drowning cesspool of crime, and the police are underfunded and poorly trained and unmotivated. It's the city's shame that a phenomenon like Batman has risen up, a mass vigilante to protect our citizens, no matter how good his intentions are or how noble the cause is. In an apartment building across Gotham City, a young blonde teenager is watching the newscast, listening intently. At this very same moment, Cutter and his men with the Clue Master leading the charge on the heist are knocking off a bank successfully, leaving and robbing the bank without leaving one clue behind. Back in the hideout, after seeing how easy it was to rob the bank, they give the Clue Master his 10% and ask him, what other ideas do you have? What Clue Master and Cutter don't know is that right next door to an adjacent building on a rooftop is a purple cloaked figure with a blue mask covering its face, and it's recording every single thing that the Clue Master and Cutter are saying. Who is this masked person? Days later, 
in the GCPD, Sarah Essen and Commissioner Gordon are talking about Kroll, and he is using Batman like a weapon against the police department. Gordon says that Kroll knows better. He was a DEA agent for eight years. He knows how Batman operates. And then he grabs an envelope from his desk with his name on it. He cuts the envelope open and out rolls a puzzle piece. It says, catch me if you can. Sarah Essen looks at Gordon and says, what does it mean, James? Gordon replies, trouble. Batman and Robin arrive hours later at the GCPD headquarters and begin examining the puzzle piece that Commissioner Gordon had received. Robin states it's from a photograph, but there's not enough here on the puzzle piece to be able to decipher what it is. Other than Commissioner Gordon's prints, the puzzle piece is completely clean. Batman and Robin take the puzzle piece back to the Batcave for further analysis. Once in the Batcave, Batman and Robin pull up the usual suspects and begin to weed them out to see which of the criminals fits this M.O. They know where the Joker is, but what about the Riddler, Robin asks. Batman says he's out of the picture. Batman says the other two suspects are out of town, leaving the Clue Master. Batman never learned the Clue Master's name when he was booked. He was booked under the name of John Dale at Blackgate. Now they know his real name is Arthur Brown, at least that's what he calls himself now. He'll be easy to track down for questioning. The puzzle piece lacks any flair or any hooks or anything notable. It's just a simple scissor cut out of a magazine or a photograph. It's nothing flashy enough for the usual suspects. Perhaps it's somebody new. Batman says they need to wait for the next puzzle piece and perhaps that piece will tell them more about the criminal or the crime. On the other side of Gotham, a blonde girl from earlier is sitting in front of a bunch of puzzle pieces on her kitchen table with scissors and she's getting ready to mail another piece to the police commissioner. Her mother enters the room and calls out, Steph? Stephanie quickly grabs the puzzle piece and turns to her mother and says, You scared me. I thought you were in bed. Stephanie's mom asks if she's working on a school project. She replies, Yes. She says it's like a report for math. Stephanie's mother says she needs more medicine refill on a prescription and asks if she can go out and get some for her. Stephanie says you shouldn't be taking so much medicine. She's going through a bottle a week. Stephanie's mother says that she needs the medicine. It's the only thing that can make her stop being so nervous all the time. She's a nervous wreck without them. She asks Stephanie again if she's going to go out. Stephanie says yes, I'm going out very soon and takes the letter to Commissioner Gordon and puts it in her pocket. That night, Batman and Robin pay a visit to Arthur Brown, and Batman and Robin confront him where he was at previously. Arthur tells him that he has served his time straight. I'm not on parole. I don't have to report to anyone, and tells him that he's been cured of his crimes, and I'm going to steer free of the Clue Master forever. As Batman and Robin swing away, Batman says, I want to believe you, Brown, but I don't want to be in your life any more than I want you in mine. As the dynamic duo swing away to the rooftop, Brown screams at Batman and Robin says, I'm a free man, and you'll have no more trouble for me. Once they're out of sight, Brown begins to smile and says, I plan on minding my business, Batman, and I plan on you minding yours. As Arthur Brown walks across the street, somebody is watching in the car, across from Arthur Brown. It's one of Cutter's men. As the days go by, more puzzle pieces come into the GCPD and more crimes are being committed throughout Gotham City. But now they have enough puzzle pieces to be able to see a shape starting to appear. It's the castle, but from where? Every three days they get a new puzzle piece from a different zip code. Like clockwork, Gordon says. Batman states that may be the clue, the frequency of the letters itself. Robin replies, it looks like we have six more puzzle pieces to go. 
18 days until the puzzle is completed. The date might tell us something more, Batman says. Labor Day, Gordon replies. It may, Batman says, but the clue may be the image. It's of a castle. Is there anything like that in Gotham? Robin says there's a monkey castle at the zoo conservatory and castle electronic headquarters and Victoria Place. Batman tells Gordon that he and Robin will check out both locations. As they are doing this, Gordon pops some aspirin and Batman asks what's wrong. Gordon replies, politics as usual. There's a lot of pressure on me with the mayoral race coming up. They're making it about the police force's effectiveness and it's an issue for debate. And when he turns around, both Batman and Robin are gone. In Cutter's hideout, the Clue Master is planning their next robbery when one of Cutter's men tells him that he saw Arthur Brown talking to Batman and Robin and wonders if he's trying to tip Batman and Robin off to Cutter's hideout so the Clue Master can keep the loot for himself. Cutter pulls a gun on the Clue Master. Clue Master begins to throw sticky bomb and gas grenades at Cutter and throws one of them into Cutter's face, knocking him to the ground, causing him to be able to not breathe and pass out and die. The Clue Master stands over Cutter's body and says he's not the one tipping off the police and now he has made himself the leader of the gang and they need to find out who this imposter is and kill them and then do the same for Batman and Robin. Standing on the rooftop looking down through the skylight is the purple clothed figure listening intently to what the Clue Master has to say. Detective Comics 648 Cover date late August 1992 on sale date July 7th 1992 let the puzzlement fit the crime on the side of the Gotham City skyscraper the purple cloaked figure is spray painting words on the side of the building three in the morning almost done the medical arts department the Robinson Square and this week the last message let the puzzlement fit the crime now reads from the spray paint on the side of the building as the purple cloaked figure descends to the ground and makes its getaway. Back at the GCPD, Batman and Robin and Commissioner Gordon take a look at the graffiti that has been plaguing the city. The martial arts building, the University Museum, the Leicester Center, and the Barrels Exchange site that would have been empty in the dead of night. The paint is water-based, so vandalism must not be the motive. Batman says the puzzle pieces have been linked to the clues and the crimes, Batman says. Robin says some of these were easy. What is closed when it's open and open when it's closed? A kind of a jam that is not on a bread. Where lumberjacks go, shopping, answers to the riddles and the clues. Batman and Robin hit the streets of Gotham City to see what leads they can turn up and checking notable gang hideouts and felons in Gotham City and finding out what they may know about these notes and clues that are being left in Gotham City's buildings. One of the leads takes Batman and Robin to Jimmy Wig. Batman asks Jimmy what he knows of the events and the robberies in Gotham City as of late. One of Jimmy Wig's men comes up behind Batman with a meat cleaver trying to attack Batman, but he's met with a swift kick in the face from Robin behind him. Now that Jimmy has no more backup, he begins to spill the beans to Batman and Robin and says some guy named Brown, he's been seizing loot around the tri-corner area looking for thugs to fill out his gang. Once back on patrol, Batman and Robin arrive at Arthur Brown's apartment. Robin says it's the Clue Master after all. Batman tells Robin Brown's prison record shows that he's been a reformed man, not the first time a cunning psychopath has outsmarted the system. Also down below the apartment is the GCPD with Harvey Bullock leading the charge. Robin says, are you sure this is how you want to handle this? 
Batman says, It should be an easy bust. The police department could use a break and make the collar themselves without their help. Inside the apartment building, Harvey Bullock and the police officers make their way up the stairs to Brown's apartment and break down the door and enter the dark room. And they see what looks like the Clue Master sitting in the chair. And they hear a recorded message saying, Batman and Robin, how good to see you. Bullock and the officers realize it's a trap and begin to flee the apartment. At this moment, from a building across Batman and Robin, Robin sees a figure leaping from one roof to the other. Robin looks at Batman, Batman nods, and Robin gives chase at the figure, thinking it could be one of the gang members. Robin gives chase after the purple hooded figure, as Bullock and the police officers race out of the apartment building. Seconds later, Robin lands on the purple hooded figure as Arthur Brown's apartment explodes. Now sitting atop the purple hooded figure, Robin says, finally, a creep more my size. Give up, you're not getting away. Robin pulls back the purple hood and takes off the blue mask covering the face of the assailant and realizes it's a girl? Just then, Robin is met in the face with a brick from his beautiful, mysterious woman. Down the street below, Harvey Bullock and the GCPD officers have barely escaped the explosion. The building is now in flames and many of the people are trapped inside. A call begins to go out to more squad cars and fire ambulances and rescue teams arrive at the scene. And then Batman is spotted suddenly swinging in to one of the open windows. About time you showed up, you freak, Bullock shouted. The officers are able to escort the other people that lived in the apartment building out of the smoldering debris with Batman's help. In the Clue Master's hideout, he tells his gang that the police will believe he's dead. And Batman also. Jimmy is smiling and says, well, the plan went south. Batman and the police officers did not die in the explosion. The Clue Master says, it's a disappointment, but our goal was accomplished. The law will think that the Clue Master is dead himself and that he can continue on with his crimes without any interference from Batman or the GCPD. In the Batcave, Robin is at the Bat computer trying to decipher the clues left by the Clue Master. Robin wonders if the mysterious figure is in cahoots with Brown. The whole thing still may come down to Labor Day weekend. Alfred pokes a little fun at Tim and says, I hear the mystery figure turned out to be a young lady and about your age. Tim replies, right. Alfred continues, and she overpowered you? Tim sternly interjects, she surprised me, Alfred. Robin continues to go over the clues. What's closed when it's open and open when it's closed? Batman enters the room and says, a drawbridge is closed when it's open. That means the target for the Clue Master was the opening day of the Castle Mark in Evanstown. They're holding a charity telethon, and the climax will be on Labor Day, and there'll be a lot of cash on hand there by the closing of the drawbridge. Batman says that he's going out tonight and that Robin should do some daylight detective work as Tim Drake. Batman says he wants to know who this girl is that Tim tangled with. Tim says he'll make sure he keeps his distance this time. Later that afternoon, Tim is riding around on his skateboard outside of a location of the blonde woman he tracked down that he ran into on the rooftop. His face is still hurting a little bit from the brick. He tracked her down to where she lives and races back to the Batcave. Once inside, he finds out that she has a connection with Arthur Brown, that she might have a hint to who she is. Tim says that from the records at Blackgate Prison, it shows that Arthur Brown had a visitor shortly after regaining his memory. Mrs. Agnid Bellinger on Holden Street in Manchester. She only visited a few times. It's at the same location that he saw her earlier at today and noticed the blonde woman was the same that he met on the roof. Robin heads back out to the location and sits and waits as the purple hooded figure comes out from the garage. Robin leaps on the back of her motorcycle 
and says, how old do you have to be to own one of these? She turns around and says, you? And by doing so, she wrecks her bike into the hedge in front of her house. Robin asks if she's okay, and she says, sure, and takes off her mask. Robin says, hey, I love the mask. A lot of good it did for me. You found me out, Stephanie replies. A little detective work, Robin says. You were part of the Clue Master's gang, right? You were there that night, and you tried to save him. Ha, she says. Why do you say that? Robin says, because he's your father. She replies, you know about half then. There's a lot you don't know. I was there trying to make sure nobody got hurt, and you had to go and chase me. Why would I want to save him? I hate his guts. I have a world-class psychopath for a dad. I want to see him rot in jail. Robin replies, so you were the one with all the clues. Boy, you're a great detective, Einstein, Stephanie says. Robin says, Batman and I think Arthur Brown may still be alive. Stephanie looks surprised and puts back on her mask. If he's still alive, I'll know where to find him. He'll still be in Gotham and ready to make his next big score, Stephanie says. Castle Park, Robin says, Maybe you're not so dumb after all, bird boy. You're going to need my help nailing him, Stephanie replies. Robin hops on the back of Stephanie's bike and the two take off. A few hours later, on top of a tall skyscraper, stands Batman, Robin, and Stephanie Brown. Batman says that the autopsy failed to come up with the identity of the blast victim, but it wasn't Arthur Brown. Stephanie says, I'm betting he used the body of Cutter Shark. He was the leader of the gang until my father killed him. They must have realized I was listening to them and only let me hear enough of their plans to think my father was going to kill Batman. Robin says that they're going to wait till 11 o'clock at the climax of the telethon. Batman says that's when there'll be the most cash on hand and the most people in the crowd at the mall, the perfect place for a diversion. Batman says, what do you call yourself? Well, Stephanie says, the spoiler. Batman replies and says, I like that. Next, mauled. Detective Comics, 649. Cover date, early September... 1992 on sale date july 21st 1992 and all this information comes to us courtesy of mike's amazing world the story mauled batman robin and the spoiler leaf off the top of the tall spire from the skyscraper to the ground and land near the batmobile they ask the spoiler what her father's plans are and the spoiler says i'll tell you on the way and batman says she's not going anywhere the spoiler says surprised i'm going to get my payback there's no way you can stop me batman says that if she really wants to help her father pay that she'll tell them what she knows of the plans that she does not have the training and besides they knew who she is underneath that mask spoiler says all right and begins to tell batman and robin that her father plans on closing both ends of the major thoroughfare through gotham city by doing this, it'll cause a gridlock and it will slow down the, the police department from being able to get to the mall. And by in doing so, no one will be able to leave or enter for quite some time. And that all the power is going to be cut off from inside the mall as well. With this news, Batman and Robin hop into the Batmobile, leaving the spoiler standing on the street. Batman says we can reach the mall by an alternate route and get there before the action starts. The spoiler says, what about me? Robin replies, go home and watch the late night news. And Batman and Robin take off in the Batmobile. And once out of sight, the spoiler says, In your dreams, bird boy, and scales up the side of a building and replies, To the spoiler belongs the victory. As Batman and Robin race to the mall to stop the Clue Master, Robin begins to talk to Batman and says, You were a little hard on her back there. She was against her father, and that puts her on our side, not the side of the Clue Master. 
Batman replies, she's on no one's side but her own. That's what revenge is all about, Robin. Inside the mall, the charity event is underway. It's only 11 minutes until the Clue Master and his men begin moving into position in disguises of Robin Hood and his merry men. Once everything is in place, the celebration and the countdown for the charity event begin, and all the money that's being raised is being put into a large, clear glass case. It's now seconds before the celebration. The countdown has begun. Seven, six, five, four, three, two. Just then, the Clue Master is standing on top of the decorations at the top of the mall, and he and his men begin to throw his gas grenades to the ground. And he says, It's Robin Hood here to take from the rich and give to my bank account. A purplish smoke begins to fill the stage and the floor of the mall. People begin to scream and flee the mall as the Clue Master and his men begin to drop down on the security cards and take them out one by one and begin to start preparations to take the container of money. They have cables and high-powered staple guns ready. They begin to attach the cables to the side of the clear glass container, and the Clue Master says we need to get the money transferred fast before the police arrive. Just then, Batman and Robin jump through the pink smoke to the ground and knock the Clue Master's men to the ground. Robin goes after Jimmy and says, You let Brown kill your boss and then fill his shoes? What happened to honor among thieves, Jimmy? As Robin wrestles Jimmy to the ground, Batman lands and knocks the Clue Master to the ground. Batman says over one million in cash collected all over Gotham. The money is uncirculated and untraceable. This would have been your masterpiece, Brown. The rest of the Clue Master's men begin to gang up on Robin, knocking Robin to the ground. One of the Clue Master's men staples Robin's cape to the ground. Robin is able to flip up partly and knock one of the thugs over his head, and then touches the center of his cape and detaches it from his collar, and then flips back up, kicking the second man to the ground. Batman picks up the Clue Master from the ground and says, How are you planning on getting away, Brown? How are you going to get that much case and a canister so large out of here? The Clue Master looks at Batman and says, You want me to tell you? I'll do better than that. I'll show you. Just then, the glass ceiling, skylight, begins to rain down on Batman the Clue Master and his men. Batman looks up and lets go of Brown. It's a military-grade helicopter dropping cables down through this broken glass skylight. The remaining members of the Clue Master's men begin to hook up the glass container that is now full of money and attach it to the helicopter's cables and begins to airlift it in the air. I'll send you a postcard, the Clue Master says, as he throws a gas grenade to the ground and escapes Batman clutches and leaps to the canister as it's being lifted out. Jimmy awakens from the ground after having been punched by Robin and pulls out a gun that louse, he says, and aims it towards the Clue Master. Robin pulls out his bow staff from behind his back and knocks Jimmy's gun out of his hand. This just isn't your day, Jimmy, Robin replies. Batman fires a batarang and hooks himself to the side of the glass container as it's being pulled up in the air. Robin wrestles Jimmy to the ground and says, I hate to be in your shoes sitting in a holding cell tonight wearing that silly Robin Hood and his Merry Men outfit as the helicopter ascends out of the castle mall and makes an open-air escape with the money attached to its cables. Just then, the spoiler jumps from the top of the roof and lands on the glass case, knocking two of the men to the mall floor. Back on the ground, Jimmy's able to turn around and grabs a glass shard from the ground and lunges at Robin, surprising him. On the glass canister, Batman manages to pull himself to the top of the canister and sees the Clue Master and the spoiler. The spoiler kicks the last two members of the Clue Master's gang to the ground, 
and she turns to Batman and says, he's mine. The Clue Master says, another young squire Batman, running a daycare center for the misguided junior vigilantes. He is able to duck the spoiler's punch and grabs her by the throat and pulls her next to him. Guess what I just happened to have in this vial? Another step closer, and this young ward of yours will have to wear this mask permanently. Back on the floor, Robin's trying to fight Jimmy off from being stabbed by the shard of glass that he has against Robin's throat. Jimmy is getting closer and closer to Robin's neck, and he is struggling to overtake Jimmy. Just then, the GCPD SWAT team come into the room and shoot Jimmy in the chest, knocking him to the ground. Jimmy is dead. Robin stands up and looks to the air as Batman, the canister, and the spoiler have left the mall. As the helicopter begins to fly through the Gotham City night sky, the Clue Master says, The way I see it, Batman, you have a choice. You can either jump at me and this teen sidekick here gets a face full of sulfuric acid, or you can jump nobly off and sacrifice yourself for the life of this one. Batman says, You don't want to do that, Brown. Why not? I suppose you'll try to appeal to my deep, suppressed humanitarian instincts. Batman says, She's your daughter. The Clue Master spins the spoiler around, removing her mask, and says, You... you mean... Just then, Stephanie punches her father in the throat and then twice in the chest, knocking the Clue Master to the canister floor, and then grabs a chain, laying on top of the canister, and ties it around his throat and begins to choke him. Stephanie, don't, Batman replies. He destroyed my life, she says. Batman tells her, you don't want to kill him. If you do, it won't be Arthur Brown that destroys your life tonight. It'll be you. Stephanie looks at Batman and releases the chain around Arthur's neck. The helicopter stops flying forward as the GCPD helicopters come into view and escort the helicopter back to the ground. The end. Alright, that was the synopsis for the three issues, Batman 647, 648, and 649. It is the introduction of Stephanie Brown into uh, the continuity of DC Comics at the time, uh, back in good old 1992. Uh, This is, uh, if I have my information here, correct from uh, Mike's Amazing World, a wonderful resource. Uh, This was June 23rd in 1992 is when this story uh, starts here. And uh, it'll be just about a year later that we will finally be in the uh, Robin title. Um, not a year from now. <laughs> It'll be a long podcast <laughs> to get to that, to get to the Robin ongoing series. But as far as uh, DC Comics is going here uh, in these uh, issues, uh, if you were reading them uh, monthly as they came out, it would take about a year from this point to get to uh, Batman having his back broken. Spoilers, if you don't uh, know <laughs> uh, by now. If you don't know by now, then uh, I don't know what comics you've been reading. Uh, but uh, about a year until uh, Batman gets his back broken, and then probably, I think, a month or so uh, after that till we get into uh, the Robin ongoing series. So this is uh, setting up the uh, the world of Tim Drake. They've already kind of done a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, Robin 2, the Joker's wild storyline with seeing uh, Tim's school life, and this is... Uh, Adding uh, another layer, uh, if you will, into the story, uh, having uh, the Clue Master. Now, reading this back in uh, 92 when it first came out, 
Um, I had started basically reading comics pretty religiously with a, a lonely place of dying, and then I was kind of you know hit or miss, some issues here or there, but pretty pretty much a regular reader, so I didn't have a lot of older issues. So I thought Clue Master uh, was somebody that was just created you know around '92, and he's a much older uh, DC Comics villain. I think he goes clear back to the '60s. So I thought that was. Um, Okay, cool. As you as you start reading comics, you start looking, you know, back at things. And of course, back in '92, we didn't have the internet to be able to go to Google and type in the Clue Master and see, you know, when he was uh, created. So it would be uh, until I got one of my first DC encyclopedias or encyclopedias rather, and start going back through and realizing, oh, I didn't realize this character was, you know, that old. Um, I like in here in the beginning of the story that uh, we're kind of right into the Clue Masters out of. Um, has been released uh, from a prison, and he's been cured of his um, calling card of leaving clues, which is, people have always said the Clue Master is kind of a Riddler knockoff. Um, he's just not leaving riddles, but they're kind of riddleish, or they're just wordy sentences that maybe really don't rhyme. Um, so that was always the the kind of funny thing about the clue master. It's like, okay, we've already done a story with the Riddler. So we kind of want to do another one, but we don't want to add the Riddler right back in. So let's do the clue master. So that's always how I always kind of looked at the clue master was a very uh, cheap knockoff wannabe uh, Riddler. But uh, in the context of the story and what he actually brings, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) what comes forth from his loins, I shouldn't say that. That's so bad. Uh, but, uh, uh, the part that he brings to the story is that he is still very smart, but can uh, will plan out all of the uh, events and the way the crimes are going to be taken, and his new uh, gang will uh, go forth and you know wreak havoc, so to speak. So I thought that was a. Something that was nice to get that away from the Clue Master, although that that kind of took his, it's not really a superpower, but took his thing away from him that he's not leaving a clue of some type. But you're led to believe that he is through the story with uh, Spoiler, who we'll find out here in just a little bit, is leaving those clues. And she's spoiling them, which I thought was kind of a, a unique take. Um for a name and how she uh, got her name, it really kind of uh, fits her character. Um, uh, the first part of this is uh, twofold, is uh, talking in uh, 647 that we have the Clue Master uh, getting acquainted with his new gang and showing his, you know, uh, authority and all that. And then you have this beat that's kind of going out. Uh, the main part of the narrative for Commissioner Gordon is uh, the police department is really. Uh, not looked at favorably, maybe in the uh, government standpoint in Gotham City, that uh, they're almost inept in fighting crime, which is always uh, one of the things. Like the the Gotham City Police Department has to be the worst the police or police department in the world, as far as DC Comics go, because they have to constantly constantly rely on a vigilante to save them. So I thought this was a nice way that um, Chuck Dixon kind of. Uh, put this in here that um, they're they're trying to do things by the book and by the numbers, and Batman and Robin both are wanting to help only when only when they really have to. If it's something that the police can handle, uh, they're going to. I think 
up until this point, Batman and Robin would just swing right in. Everybody would look up at the sky and go, oh, it's Batman and Robin. But they're trying to do things very stealth to help the police department so that the police department can get credit for the collar or the bust or what's going on. So there's some very cool Batman moments in this that uh, Dixon and Lyle are able to craft in together with Batman and Robin. You know, we see them from our POV. But Batman and Robin coming in from the rooftop and then kind of crawling up the side of the building and look, trying to look at the pages here. There's no page count on this particular issue at all. This is something that always kind of uh, uh, intrigued me. And sometimes they'd put a page, page number in, sometimes they wouldn't. But this is early on in the story with Batman and Robin crawling up the side of the building almost with like these Wolverine type of spikes and claws uh, going into the bricks. I thought that was a cool little gadget. Uh, but it's done with uh, no dialogue between Batman and Robin. You have the thugs in the middle uh, talking about, you know, hey, they're going to send us a helicopter, you know, whatever it is. And you get these quick little uh, two panels, uh, one panel, which is really cool, of part of Batman's cape, but his hand coming out and grabbing the face of the thug, you know, stopping the guy in mid-sentence. So when the big bad thug turns around and like, hey, Joe, what's going on? Bam, there's Batman and Robin. So there's word that Batman and Robin are on the scene, but nobody really saw them. And one of the snipers kind of thought they sort of saw something. So if you go back a page and uh, see the sniper crosshair there, you can clearly tell that that's Batman. So if you were part of the GCPD, you know, sniper division, uh, you had that in your sights, you would clearly go, uh, Chief, I think Batman's here. <laughs> I'm sure somebody like Harvey Bullock would be saying, shoot, shoot. Uh, we have a first appearance of Stephanie Brown. Uh, we don't know it's Stephanie, and I kind of like... I mean, it, reading comics now, uh, long enough now, you kind of look at the book and go, all right, we have this blonde woman watching uh, TV here. I kind of wonder who and what she is. She only gets one page, one panel, um, which I kind of thought is a nice little setup. It kind of makes you go, okay, I'm probably supposed to pay attention to this person. She's clearly watching the news. They're talking about Batman. They're talking about... Uh, what is going on uh, kind of with the police department and the apprehension that has just happened. And uh, she's kind of sitting there with her or staying there with her arms crossed. So it, it was one of those, like I paid attention to. And after a while you start going, you know, I wonder who this blonde person is. So I'm glad they, it's a slow burn with Stephanie. Granted it's in three issues where we find out who she is, but uh, this is kind of what I miss from comics nowadays you have a nice development of a character, or sometimes I'm just going to use Scott Snyder here and creating Harper Rowe. Uh, she was in like one issue, like issue seven of Batman, and then it's not till issue 11 that we see her again. So it's like, oh, is that that same person? Uh, back when this era of comics and kind of my era, I mean, I'm still reading the new 52 and all of that, but back in the 90s or even in the 80s and 70s, whatever decade you want, there was a real emphasis on development. We're bringing this person in and we want you to know and get to grow and like this person or get to grow and hate this person if it's a villain or somebody like that. But they're kind of constantly there. They're not they may not be in every single issue, but it's not going to be 12 issues before you see somebody again. They're, it's going to be kind of that uh, reminder for you. So uh, I like that out of uh, uh, Dixon and Lyle. But with the case of Stephanie Brown, we won't see her too much until after the events of Nightfall. So I, I like how that kind of plays in. So by me saying, you know, oh, she's, oh, she's kind of here, but... Uh, <laughs> 
with the whole Nightfall saga, she's completely left off the table for a while, only to set her up for the Robin ongoing series. Uh, I do like the panel in here with uh, the series of six panels with them breaking into uh, the bank or whatever it is. And the panel, a second panel in this page, again, I apologize for not having the page numbers in here, uh, but it's the panel of one of the thugs that is spray painting the security camera. And it almost looks like it's probably trying to show that, you know, these fumes are bad, but he is wearing a mask and he's covering his uh, face almost like he's going, I'm spray painting your camera. So I don't think that's exactly what it is, but I thought it's a, a funny little uh, picture here. Uh, going through a couple more pages once you get past the yellow ad for free back issues, comic catalog, call toll free. I have to wonder if the, this phone number is still active. It, it's probably not. But uh, the page after that is the first introduction of the spoiler, but we don't know who this character is and didn't even know if this was male or female. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I I automatically thought, okay, this is going to be a guy. You know, who who is it going to be? I didn't even remotely think it was going to be the blonde girl from a, a few pages previously. And I like that they made Stephanie have blonde, long blonde hair like her father does. So it kind of, it, it ties that in. So that's should be telegraphed and the way they designed her hair to kind of sweep over the front of her face is the same way as clue masters uh, hair sweeps over the front of his face. Uh, but I thought this is a really cool design for spoiler. It was just that, that off character in the Batman universe that operated by herself and kind of did whatever she wanted to, but was so, so not ready for what she had ahead of her. Uh, usually a lot of heroes will come in and they're, they may be flawed or they may not fight so well in the very beginning, but at some point they finally have everything that they need. They have this big moment and they never gave Stephanie Brown that until she gets to the point of actually being Batgirl, uh, that she was always constantly fumbling or messing something up. She messes something up when she becomes Robin, and then she messes stuff up when she goes back to being Spoiler. And her whole, you know, again, another spoiler here, her whole death. So tragedy kind of kept befalling her. She was constantly putting herself in harm's way, which was kind of to show us that just because you're wearing a costume doesn't mean you have the things that you need to become a costume crime fighter. And I like that uh, later on in the story, Batman tries to get that through to Stephanie, like we're going to handle this. And she even makes a point, you know, I'm, I'm older than Robin and Batman makes a comment of something like, well, he's trained. He's ready for this. You're not. It's too dangerous. So I, I like those moments. Uh, the Norm Breifogel Batmobile is still uh, being used into effect. Uh, we see, and I've always liked the Norm Breifogel Batmobile. I was sad to see it go after nightfall. Uh, we have Sarah Essen that's in here. In some panels, she looks really good. In other panels, she kind of looks a little homely where you go, I don't know what Commissioner Gordon sees in her. And it's one of the few uh, flaws i guess in uh, in lyle's otherwise you know perfect art in this book is just the couple looks that he has of her as they're you know squatting down behind the squad car uh, trying to not get shot by the uh, thugs that are holding people at gunpoint uh, we go through the uh, puzzle pieces uh, that are being delivered and uh, Batman and Robin trying to uh, put those pieces together. Um, I like how they're going through all of the would-be criminals and it kind of ties in back to uh, Robin 
uh, to the Joker's Wild, where they kind of let you know, well, it, it can't be the Joker. He's been locked up, uh, referencing back to Robin too. So I kind of like that we're keeping uh, the continuity and all of that uh, intact. Huh, continuity and uh, DC Comics is going to be a thing of the past, potentially, coming June of this year. But that'll be a discussion for a later time. Uh, we see uh, the first... Uh, name mention of the blonde girl which is stephanie and uh, again I, i'm going to constantly apologize for the page uh, numbers here this is directly in the middle of the book so if you open the book to the middle you'll find the staples <laughs> uh it is a stephanie and her mother so uh, we get a name with the girl here and she's wearing purple jeans or pants uh, we should have figured that out uh we see the puzzle pieces here so we know it's not the clue master that is doing this we see that it is, in fact, going to Commissioner Gordon. And uh, we see Stephanie's mother that's needing uh, medicine uh, for whatever she has going on. But uh, obviously, she's abusing the medicine, and Stephanie is kind of aware of that. Uh, we have a confrontation with uh, Batman and Robin and uh, Arthur Brown here. Who didn't have an alien? Didn't have a name when he went into uh, Black A Prison, but when he came out, uh, that's uh, who he was. Uh, they kind of did you know, DNA tests and all that stuff. Um, and Batman and Robin are confronting him here, and he's like, "No, I'm I'm done with that life of crime. I'm done leaving clues. That's that's not mean, of course. That's just another little uh, lie that they're telling to kind of throw us off the trail here. But uh, we clearly know just from uh, reading the book that." Uh, Arthur is uh, actually telling a lie here. Uh, we get more puzzle pieces, and it kind of jumps a little bit. So uh, they're saying it's like every three days they get a, a new puzzle piece uh, mentioned here. So for the pieces that they have here, if you're still flipping along with me, there's one, two, three, four, five, six pieces. So that's three, six, nine, twelve. We have fi 15, 16 days, you know, give or take, uh, that uh, has passed since the very beginning of this uh, issue. Uh, has started just in this uh, single book. Uh, we have a cool discussion here between uh, Batman Robin and Commissioner Gordon, uh, just kind of about what's going on uh, politically in Gotham City. Uh, just the fire that Commissioner Gordon is under, uh, that uh, sometimes Commissioner Gordon could be perceived as an embarrassment, depending on how the media portrays him. And Batman's like, you know, uh, we're the ones who are the embarrassment. You know, it's it's Robin and I. We're we're the ones that are getting in your way of doing your job and we're we're here to just help you we don't want we don't want to cause you any problem and that's that's a cool dynamic to, between uh, Batman and Commissioner Gordon that Batman knows why he's doing what he's doing is you know he wants to stop all the crime in Gotham City but knows that it's the police force that really need to maintain it. And uh, you almost get the sense that Batman feels bad for uh, the way things are going here. And you have this kind of look on, on Robin's face, like, you know, yeah, we're sorry. And even the moment of, you know, there's a new mayoral race coming up and Robin is kind of like, they wouldn't replace you, would he? And commissioner Gordon's like, well, yeah, I, I don't know. So I, I like that that moment between the three of them of, you know, we have an issue here, but the, the greater issue is uh, these crimes that are going on. We've, we've got to stop this before it, it brings more light to the problem and before, you know, Batman and Robin can try to figure out how they can work in and around the police force, still allowing the police force to do what they need to do and still protect and serve Gotham city. 
Uh, the final part of the book here is uh, the clue master kind of getting revenge on getting spied on and uh, killing Cutter as a way to show Cutter's gang that uh, I'm in control here. And he uses his epoxy, you know, grenade gas bomb type things that end up suffocating Cutter and dies probably a very slow and painful death, not being able to breathe. And we have the final, you know, splash page shot at the very end here of spoiler standing over top of uh, the clue master and uh, spoiler can clearly see that the clue master has just killed somebody, which will obviously play out uh, in a, in a much more uh, poignant way uh, later on with the uh, spoiler character, which we obviously don't know that uh, it, the character's name is spoiler yet and kind of standing there really defiant uh, moving into Batman uh, 648 here, uh, we have obviously more clues that the purple hooded figure is uh, leaving on Gotham City, but now this figure is uh, leaving them on the side of uh, skyscrapers and painting them uh, in bright red paint, which we find out is, you know, they're not, uh, Gordon says, you know, the, the paint was water-based, uh, vandalism wasn't the motive, so... It's like, hey, I'm trying to tell you what's going on because I want this Clue Master uh, taken care of, but I'm not about to vandalize the buildings in Gotham City, but uh, just sending these puzzles isn't working anymore, so I'm doing this in large scale here. And you can see the uh, pictures that Robin and Batman are flipping through that it's at least four or five uh, buildings that are, must have been uh, spray-painted at some point. And I like when Batman and Robin go out on patrol that Batman will get information out of someone and will clearly kind of rough somebody up that uh, this gang here is selling DVDs or DVD or DVDs. Geez, back in 93. That's not happening, Rob. VHS players. And if you look at the packages here, uh, you can clearly see they say Pony. P-O-N-Y, since they probably couldn't use uh Sony, so they used Pony, you see VCR. Uh, VCR is like, wow, how old is this book? 1992, folks. <laughs> I still have a VCR player today that works. So some things that I actually taped and still watch. And some of the uh, <laughs> uh, footage is very grainy, but yet I still watch it. I can probably go to YouTube and watch uh, the things that I taped back in the 80s or old MTV, you know, blocks of uh, videos. Remember that when they played videos on MTV? Now I'm getting off on a tangent. So let's get back to this. So I always like the product placement that's not really a product, but uh, it's kind of like to say, hey, we wanted to say Sony, but this is as close as we can get. So pony um so of course batman gets the information that he wants and we see jimmy wig again uh make an appearance um and another i would call it a cool batman moment but it's a a cool robin moment where you have somebody coming up behind batman which just usually happens in reverse um and i'm apologizing it's a page i want to get this right one Two, three, page four. I love the look of Robin in a silhouette behind Batman. All that you see is just the outline and the whites of Robin's mask, I think, is pretty cool. Just to let you know that Robin's in the background. But when one of Jimmy Wiggs' uh, thugs is coming up behind Batman with a meat cleaver, uh, Robin gives uh, the guy a swift kick to the back of the head. I think that's just really cool. So that's a, a move you would see uh, happen to uh, Robin, that Batman would be the one to you know, come save Robin, but it's showing the uh, partnership between Batman and Robin that, uh, 
I wouldn't say that Robin is at an equal, but he is parallel with his mentor of being able to be out in costume. And Batman knows that Robin has his back and Robin knows Batman has, has his back. They've grown into this partnership that uh, Batman was very, very meticulous in making sure that Tim was ready for what is coming to him. That, you know, Bruce can't be looking over his shoulder to make sure that his partner is fine. He has to know and believe that Tim is doing the things that he needs to uh, for both of their safeties, that they are both watching out for each other. Um, I like the moment here because of the discussion. Uh, this would probably be page five or page six if you're counting front and back. So however, <laughs> DC, put page numbers in here, uh, that uh, Batman and Robin are atop of the skyscraper and they're waiting. And Robin says, are we making our move? And uh, Batman is like, this is just a simple bust. The police are going to go in. They're going to go get Arthur Brown. He's the one that's uh, doing all of this. And uh, we're going to let the police make the collar on this. They need to be able to do that. And we see a pink-coated Harvey Bullock running in uh, to go track down uh, Arthur in his uh, apartment building. And we kind of see what we're supposed to led to believe is the Clue Master sitting there with this voice recording. And I like the split uh, panels. Uh, you have a set of panels going down uh, on the left-hand side that are telling one story and on the right telling one that while they're going into Clue Master's uh, spo- supposedly apartment or Arthur Brown's apartment, you have Robin seeing uh, the spoiler, which again, we don't know it's a spoiler at this point, but you know, streaking away and Robin gives chase. And I, I like that we have this uh, those set of panels here and uh, it's uh, set you know, in the dark so we can't quite see everything inside the Clue Master's apartment. And it says, uh, Batman fall down and go boom is the thing that uh, Cutter is holding. So we can tell uh, from us, the uh, viewer, that uh, it is Cutter sitting in the chair and we have uh, you know, still the series of panels of Robin giving chase to, to the spoiler. Uh, of course, does catch up with her and dun-dun-dun, finds out it's a girl. So I remember going back through, and this is probably going to get a boo or something like that, but I remember going back through those issues and going, I didn't see a boob. <laughs> you know, it's like, was that telegraphed to us? And just the way the spoilers costume was, you know, it left it ambiguous. So I kind of thought that was, uh, was very cool of uh, Dixon and Lyle in the beginning to not let you know that the sp- Spoiler character is a female. And, uh, of course, Robin is, gets all starstruck and dazed and gets actually struck, well, by a brick. So I kind of like that, that uh, Robin is caught off guard. So as much as I said Robin has to watch for his surroundings, he's still a teenager. And here's a pretty blonde girl and was not expecting to see a pretty blonde girl that he has been chasing. Uh, when, in fact, uh, it, it was a pretty blonde girl. And he gets uh, hit in the face with a brick and... I like how later on that Alfred uh, kind of pokes at uh, Tim a little bit and must have been something that Bruce uh, told Alfred, like, you know, this is kind of what happened. This is what Tim said. And uh, Alfred kind of uh, relishes in that, that that Tim's got a a human side to him. Maybe he's not going to be like Bruce after all, that, uh, you know, he was caught catching the glimpse of a girl. Now, granted, he's got to do a much better job (laughs) on the field, uh, but... uh, that was the cool thing about the Stephanie Brown character. Once we get into the Robin series that there's, there becomes this love interest and it's, 
it was that romance that just never quite worked the way it was supposed to. Uh, even when he gets to start dating uh, Ariana or Adriana, I always mispronounce her name. Uh, and Stephanie's just kind of there, like they're on again, off again. It's like the Ross and Rachel thing, but a more volatile Ross and Rachel. There's your friend's reference. We go to uh, Commissioner Gordon going into uh, the mayor's office. And the mayor's basically telling Commissioner Gordon, like, look, I'm not running for mayor. And uh, the way this election's going, uh, we might as well, I'm, I might as well just introduce you to the mayor. And it's uh, Kroll, that's uh, Armand Kroll, who will become a big part in uh, Nightfall and kind of the uh, the pain in the side to Batman and Commissioner Gordon much later. But uh, uh, we'll find out later on that um, from... Gordon and Batman, that it's a political move, that Kroll knows he's going to need Commissioner Gordon. Uh, the way things are going in Gotham City, Kroll knows that Batman is still going to be needed. And if he puts in another commissioner, uh, it's probably not going to bode well for Batman trying to deal with this person. And Batman could be more violent, so at least Commissioner Gordon has a uh, rapport with the vigilante Batman, so that's kind of more of a power play on Commissioner Gordon's end, and Gordon really doesn't uh, care for it at all, really. And the last section of this book, uh, this is the kind of the funny thing. We have the bit with uh, Tim and Alfred in the Batcave, or Tim and Robin, as it were, uh, in the Batcave, uh, going through uh, the events uh, that had happened and where Alfred's, you know, poking a little bit of fun at uh, Commissioner Gordon, or excuse me, where Alfred's poking a little bit of fun at Tim. Why did I say Commissioner Gordon? <laughs> poking a little bit at Tim for, you know, the girl incident. Um, and I like the thing here where uh, Tim says, you know, I'll... Uh, I'll keep my distance next time uh, to Bruce. Where Bruce sends uh, Tim out on day patrol. So this is kind of funny. Tim goes out on day patrol, uh, tracks down Stephanie, finds out you know where she lives, and uh, can see that um, Arthur Brown had a visitor. So I was able to kind of track down that this visitor came right before Brown got released, and can kind of uh, put all dot all the T's and uh, cross all the I's. Uh, to find out that it's Stephanie Brown. So we have him uh, go out, find Stephanie, come back in, and then go back out a, a second time as Robin, uh, waiting for uh, Stephanie to come out in her disguise. And uh, they kind of have the uh, uh, talk here about, uh, and Robin thinking, I, I kind of did too, that it, it's your dad. You're obviously working with your dad. You're helping him plan his... Uh, crimes and it's the opposite. It's uh, Stephanie is upset. Uh, her father's a crook, ruined her life. Her her mother is in a, a very bad way, and I wasn't expecting that. Um, I would have easily thought, oh great, Tim's gonna fall in love with the bad girl, and you know he's got to try and find some way. Like, well, I you need to be on the good side or something like that. So she turns out to be one of the good guys, but. You can definitely tell that she is broken. She's really confused and has witnessed her father committing a murder. So she's got all of these things going on. And uh, I like the banter between uh, Tim and Steph. And that is something that just becomes a very core thing once we get into the Robin book of the relationship between Stephanie and Tim. And it's right here in the second issue of the story that they're... 
they're partners by circumstance and they only trust each other as about as much as you can trust. And Tim has one step step up on Stephanie is that he knows who she is. And, you know, Tim tries to say, you know, it's, I like your costume. I like your mask. And, um, it's, I always thought it was kind of funny how quickly Stephanie is to pull off her mask. I mean, she's, you know, Robin's pulled her mask off once already on the rooftop, but she you quickly does it again here and uh, doesn't doesn't play the whole, well, I saw, you saw my face, now I want to see yours. So I like the reluctant part- partnership out of the two that um, Tim knows this is what something that Batman would do. Uh, moving into the last uh, page here in the book is the shot of Batman, Robin, and we find out in the next to last panel where Batman says, what do you call yourself? And she says, the spoiler. And I like the Batman says, you know, I like that, but I love the a long panel here of the three of them standing on top of the uh, tower here. And I, I did do this. I know I don't normally talk about boobs on this, but this is one of the uh, first times uh, other than when we see Robin and Stephanie, where you can kind of tell that her female form is a little bit more defined. And I think that was done on purpose in the beginning uh, issue in the first part of a, a 648 here that it was still kept ambiguous and and done for a very good reason that they didn't want to give it away uh, too early to who uh, the spoiler actually was if she was a guy or a girl so I thought that was really clever in Tom Lyle's art and again that was probably came from Chuck Dixon's direction so again very cool uh, moving into the last part of the story here in Batman uh, 649, I love this opening splash page here of Batman, Robin, and Spoiler uh, descending down from the top of the skyscraper in the previous issue uh, to where the Batmobile is. Um, I just, I loved Tom Lyle's art. Uh, I, again, I've said, you know, Bray Fogle. Um, and Tom Lyle and Tom Grummet were some of the my early favorite uh, Batman artists. And I've liked a, a lot since then, but this really, those three really shaped my love for the Tim Drake character. And uh, when I think of Tim Drake and I think of Robin, this is the, those are the three iconic images or artists that I think of drawing the Tim Drake uh, character. So as quickly as Batman was eager to kind of meet Stephanie or meet the spoiler and get the information from her, he's just as eagerly quick to say, no, you're you're not going to be part of this. But I still need to know the plan. Uh, she reluctantly tells him, and we kind of see uh, that play out. And of course, you know that uh, this girl is not going to just go home, wait. And Robin gives her a little dig of like, yeah, go home and watch TV or check the late night news. Almost more of like, yeah, go check out and see what we're going to do later tonight. We're going to yeah, go check out and see what we're going to do later tonight. We're going to catch your dad. Um, I mean, we can't. It's only written in words here. But it's it's that kind of dig that he's kind of given back at her. Like, the real heroes are going to do the job. So I think that kind of, that insult is kind of what fueled a little bit more of the fire. I think we already knew that Stephanie was going to run out and go do this already. But... um it was that little extra push, I think, from Robin that uh, kind of pushed Stephanie to really make the point of like, you know what, I've been wanting somebody to go out and capture my dad for this whole entire time. It, it should be me. And again, it's part of that dynamic of Tim and Stephanie that will 
will be a staple in the Robin series for, for quite a long time. And uh, I like that Stephanie has her own gear. Uh, she's got her own tool. She has her own rope, her own spoiler grapple, and, and things of that nature, which I never really looked at of like, okay, I'll give you the fact that maybe she's got the ability to sew and she can sew up a badass costume, but the grapple gun and things like that. But hey, it's Gotham City. She could probably go to Villains R Us or Heroes R Us and just buy whatever she needs. And this is something that uh, I talked about in the synopsis where the riddles are, or the clues, see, I keep saying riddles, where the clues are put together, uh, what is open when it's closed, what is closed when it's open, it being the drawbridge and all of these. It, that's really the only kind of clue that they really kind of hang their hat on uh, as far as what the clues mean. There was in uh, Bat, or, excuse me, Batman, Detective Comics uh, 648, Robin kind of runs down the answers to the clues that uh, the spoiler gave early on in the uh, series. But this is the one where we know it's the Castle Mall where this uh, event is going to be going on. It's a fundraiser. And I just found it really funny that uh, the Clue Master is having his guys dress up like Robin Hood and his Merry Men, and they're going to rob from the rich and give to themselves. So it was kind of a funny little shtick uh, that they put there. And uh, we find out that this is all of this stuff is going to be going on. There's going to be a tie-up on the freeway from both ends, and uh, the Clue Master is going to get this huge tank of money uh, out of the uh, charity event and they've only got 20 minutes to get from one side of Gotham City to the other and of course they're in the Batmobile and you know they're going to do it those are some of my uh, favorite parts in uh, in Batman movies as a kid or cartoon series of like oh my gosh there's only five minutes and the world is going to end can can Batman and Robin get there in time you know the whole 1966 you know TV series type of thing but those are always the fun things and I always liked it sometimes and they put in a clock and you kind of had that feeling of like the clock is just ticking faster and faster knowing that Batman and Robin are going to win in the end but I I still got sucked into that as a kid reading the book um in the close to the middle of the book here again no page numbers guys it's right before the middle of the book uh, but the shot of the clue master coming in here uh which very looks much like green arrow which very much looks like Connor Hawk green arrow version here with the you know, Robin Hood and his Merry Men type of a look and the orange in here. So I don't know if that was something that somebody in DC kind of went back through and said, hey, you know, when you drew the Clue Master wearing the Robin Hood fatigues, what if we did something like that for this Connor Hawk character, which is going to become uh, somebody that Tim will work with uh, later on in his Robin series. So I don't think that I would like to think that that was somebody looked back at Lyle's uh, artwork and said, Hey, that's really cool. Let's do that. Um, but um, maybe, uh, maybe I should Google it. But if I'm back in 1992, I don't even know what Googling means. So let's, let's continue to move on here. Um, I, I like this fight sequence here between uh, the clue master, Batman and Robin and his guys here. Um, one of my favorite things out of this, uh, whole entire uh, storyline is Robin's sequence here, uh, right after the middle of the uh, a book. So if you're if you find the staples in the book, please turn your page over. And this series of panels where the Clue Master's thugs are trying to fight Robin. One of them's got a chain, and the other one has a staple gun that they were using to. Uh, in which I want to say really quick, this giant glass. Uh, 
canister full of money that uh, I know it's supposed to look like an army helicopter if it's supposed to come in here. Uh, these must be high-powered uh, staple guns, but that's a lot to get these. And I looked at dumb stuff like this. They've got these chains that go completely underneath everything, and everything's bolted on. So I don't think they would have had times to get the chains underneath the canister in all these different directions. I'm probably looking at it too in-depth here. So I will just go back to the part that I like out of this whole book is the set here of Robin getting his cape stapled to the ground, flipping over, kicking the guy behind him, and then detaching his cape to be able to pop back up and kick uh, the stapler guy thug to the ground. I just thought that was really cool. And a neat way to go, you know, the cape doesn't always have to stay on. The cape can be removed. And every now and then you would see Batman and Robin lose their cape or take their cape off for whatever reason. I just like that you see the way Lyle puts Robin's hand up to his throat as if he's, you know, pushing a button to detach the cape. And you kind of see the collar open up in the third panel as he's kicking the guy. So I, I don't know why that was just a part that I... I just loved looking at when I first read this issue way back when. Uh, we have the canister being lifted out of the ground. And uh, this slow thug here that Robin is fighting uh, almost gets the best of him. And it's actually the GCPD that end up kind of saving uh, Robin's life here. Which, you know, Robin's got the bow staff. He's beating him around as Batman is ascending up the uh, glass uh, canister with all the money. With... Uh, the rest of the Clue Master's men and the Clue Master, so we kind of have these two beats going hand in hand. Uh, so that's the only spot that Robin was quick enough to get out of everything else and almost has uh, Jimmy beat here, but uh, Jimmy is able to get a shard of glass and is about ready to jab it uh, into Robin's throat when the GCPD come in, a SWAT team, and end up killing Jimmy. So uh, that's the only spot I was like, oh, man, you had Robin do all this cool stuff. You know, Batman gets to save the day, and we, you've kind of kind of got to go back to uh, somebody still has to kind of help Robin out a little bit. I would have liked to have had Tim own that and have the GCPD come in. But there again, that's something else that the GCPD need to be able to kind of own some of this collar themselves. So in a sense, Robin is actually doing something that Batman would have wanted to have happened. Not like, hey, put yourself in harm's way and let yourself almost get stabbed in the throat and wait for somebody to come and save your neck. That I don't think that is what Batman was wanting. But the end result is the GCPD can say, you know, the GCPD helped, uh, you know, save the day uh, and also saved Robin the Boy Wonder in the process as, you know, Batman was uh, helping the police arrest uh, the Clue Master. So we're up to the final end here of the reveal of, uh, well, at least now for Arthur, the Clue Master himself, uh, finding out that his daughter is Stephanie Brown. And I kind of like the, you know, he's ready to stab Stephanie after she uh, heroically tries to land on top of the canister and manages to take out a guy or two and is caught by the Clue Master and has got uh, a knife to her throat. And Batman says, she's your daughter. So clearly outing uh, Stephanie to her father. And you have this, you know, reveal and the look that... Uh, Lyle drew on the Clue Master's face with his eyes wide open 
of, oh, oh, holy crap, it's my daughter. And then Stephanie quickly gets uh, the upper hand on her father and is ready to choke him. And she, uh, again, this is another moment where I was kind of knocking on him just a little bit. Sorry to do that, Lyle. But uh, where I was saying that uh, Sarah Essen, she, he didn't quite get the kind of looked like she was trying to fart behind the cop car. But here he catches the emotion in Stephanie's face of, I'm going to kill him. You don't understand what kind of a creep my my father is. And I love the line here that says, he hurt you, but if you kill him, it won't be Arthur Brown who destroys your life. It will be you. And I I liked that when Batman can be the baddest ass Batman in the world and doesn't have to raise a fist or raise a foot to kick somebody or punch somebody in the throat can tell you the very thing that you're doing wrong and and you get it that's to me that that is the Batman moment is big and tough and strong as Batman is and we want to see him karate chopping his way you know through every thug's Dirty turkey throat, as Kevin Smith would say. There's a plug for Kevin Smith. Fat man on Batman. Uh, but uh, it's the the smart Batman that stands there at hearing somebody saying, this guy destroyed my life. I'm going to kill him. And Batman just calmly says, if you kill him, it won't be the clue master that destroys your life. It'll be you that destroys your life. And I like how the comic just ends. There's no denouement at the end of it. It's just the shot of the army helicopter holding the tank full of money and the police copters coming in and you just see the clue master spoiler and Batman with his long cape and with just the words, the end, and you see the clue master's mask floating away as if, okay, that's the end. We won't see this character again, but you know, we're going to. So that's going to wrap it up uh, for me for this uh, episode. Kind of a, a little bit of a shorter uh, episode here. Um, we've kind of got some uh, family situations kind of brewing here. So uh, I'm working on a couple other podcasts. Uh, Tom Panarese and I are trying to uh, pin down and lock down a time to be able to record uh, Robin 3, Eye of the Huntress. I have one more episode that will come in before that. It'll be the first Robin annual. So they make a Robin annual before Robin has his own series. So it's kind of an annual to the miniseries, and then we get the last miniseries. So uh, I have been eagerly waiting for these couple of episodes, and we are two episodes away from the beginning of nightfall. So I've got some guests lined up for once we get into nightfall and I'm going to have a whole lot of fun with it. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake and uh, celebrating this year, uh, 75th anniversary of Robin and this month, DC comics in the time I'm recording. This is March 10th. Uh, they are celebrating uh, the 75th anniversary of Robin in the month of March. So a big look on the, for some of the cool things that DC is going to be doing uh, all month long, celebrating 75 years of Robin. So take care. We will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as they have their own 
copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, one zero M-Y-E-R-S at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Take care.